Good afternoon, everyone. It is April 21st, another Friday, and that means it's another update from the Missouri Funeral Directors and Embalmers Association. We haven't talked a lot about national uh, politics and things like that recently, but this has been the week where the National Funeral Directors and Embalmers Association had their advocacy day in Washington, D.C. Missouri was represented, represented by our president, Greg Byrd, who went up there to talk to all the Missouri senators and representatives. A big issue, of course, being the FTC rule. What is this FTC rule going to do? And why is our funeral professionals treated differently than just about every other profession? And even within the funeral profession, why are some, like funeral homes, treated differently than cemeteries, casket stores, third-party companies, and all the like? So that I know was a big issue. But speaking of the FTC, the FTC did make the news this month by coming down hard on one of these uh, internet, and I use the term loosely, funeral establishments. The ones that make it look like they're your local hometown, most trusted hometown, hometown favorite funeral home when they're not even in the state. You get online, you pay them money, and they parcel that out to a third party or something like that. They don't have any funeral homes in the state. They don't even have any employees in the state. Well, the FTC finally came down pretty hard on one of those companies to get them to stop misleading people, let them know they really are not a funeral home that is licensed in that particular state. They also, and this is telling for what the FTC may require everybody in the future to do, is to require them to post all of their prices online. Most people do expect that once the final FTC rules come out, that all funeral establishments will be required to have their general price list posted on their web page. That hasn't uh, been 100% certain, but with what they just required this other company to do, it kind of gives you a hint as to what the FTC is thinking along those lines. So that's kind of things going on in the national uh, politics and national regulations. More locally, this past week, we did have the bill that modernizes and updates and cleans up a lot of the funeral profession statutes dealing with next of kin, dealing with transporting the human remains from one place to another in a common carrier. The Senate version of that bill that's already completely passed the Senate was voted due passed out of the House committee that had to review it. That means it now goes to the full House. And if the full House passes that bill without any changes, then that's it. It would become go to the governor's uh, office for his signature, and if he signs it, it becomes law. That bill, again, to reiterate, we've talked about it before, it takes out the soon-to-be ex-spouse from the next-of-kin list. It makes it clear when you can delegate your next-of-kin rights to somebody else, and it eliminates a whole bunch of these laws from the 1800s that uh, aren't followed, that shouldn't be followed, but they're still in the statute book, so they call they cause a lot of confusion. So that did uh, get out of committee, so that is good as well. Also, uh, the 
committee that hears the gubernatorial appointments did approve another one of the governor's appointees to the state board. There's another one scheduled for next week, and we're still waiting for one more out of the governor's office. He needs to appoint one more person uh, to fill everything up. So we'll keep you posted as soon as we have a full board. Uh, we don't have one yet. We'll give you the names and uh, little bios on everybody that's out there in one of our emails. Also, today's we're fast approaching deadlines to get your discount for the convention. The hotel rates, if you need a hotel rates, I think tomorrow's the last day you can get the cheap hotel rate. So get your convention applications, your invention, uh, convention registrations, and your hotel registrations if you need it in today, if at all possible. Good news. We were able to extend the amount of people that can take the arranger training on the Saturday before the convention. We had such an overwhelming response to that initially that we had to get a bigger room. Fortunately, the hotel had a bigger room we could use. So now we can fit more people into that arranger training the Saturday before the convention. So if you're <clears throat> interested in that, you need to get on the NFDA website and sign up for that. Now, as to some stu substantive stuff that people like to hear about, well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, going to have to bring back an oldie and a goodie because, boy, have we had a whole bunch of problems with that the last couple of weeks, and it has to do with death certificate correction affidavits. And once again, what happens is when you're changing a number nine, number nine is the address of the decedent. If you change number nine, you definitely need to take a look at number 15 because what's number 15? That's the name and address of the informant. And so often the informant is a spouse of the decedent or perhaps the decedent was living with their children and he died there. And so if you're changing one and on the original death certificate, the address on number nine was the same as the address on number 15C, and you change one of them, you need to change the other one. Your correction affidavit will get rejected if you don't do that. Also, if the person died at home, then you also better be checking 17, 18, and 19, because if you've changed one, you might have to change the other. 17, of course, is where the person died, uh, the street address, if it was at home, 18 is the uh, city and state where the person passed away, and 19 is the county of death. And 19 is something you really need to check because vital records checks it. If you have changed the street address, they look it up. They do. They got a, they got a map thingy going on there. So if you change the address of the place where the person passed away, they'll plug that into the computer and if it's in a different county now, they'll reject it if you didn't change the county as well. So double check if you've changed the town, if you've changed the address, make sure that the county doesn't need to be changed as well. So when you're dealing with number nine, make sure you check number 15, make sure you check number 17, 18, and 19, because if any of those are wrong and you've changed one of them, but another one needs to change, then you got a problem and it will get rejected. Sometimes the problem is in actually uh, one that is number 16. Number 16 
is where you say where the death occurred. And your choices are hospice, nursing home, decedent's home, or other. Sometimes it is proper to have the different addresses. But when you take a look at it, you say, whoa, 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 you checked decedent's home. And you've changed the address of the decedent's home. You're going to have to change 17. And you say, oh, well, he didn't really die at the decedent's home. Well, then you're going to have to change 16. The point is we've been getting a lot of these where people are changing one of them and they haven't changed another one. The other one, and boy, is the other one I wanted to talk about today because, boy, we've been getting questions on cemeteries the last week or so. Crazy. And this had to do with access to an old cemetery that was now in the middle of a farm. Missouri law says that people can have access, even if it's surrounded by private property, to a cemetery, whether it was a family burial ground or an abandoned cemetery. Even if it's an abandoned cemetery, an abandoned gravesite, people should have, quote, reasonable access. I don't know what that means, but that's what it says. Reasonable access to visit that gravesite, that cemeteries, to do things that you would customarily do at a cemetery. So not a, you know, not for a picnic, not to do a garage sale, not, but things that you can customarily do at a cemetery, people can have access to that, even if it's abandoned, even if they're not related to the people that were buried there. But you have to make reasonable accommodations to the surrounding landowner. So that's one issue. If there's a little six or seven people buried on a little grave plot out in the middle of some person's farm, the surrounding landowner, the farmer, whoever owns that property by Missouri law must make reasonable accommodations for people to be able to visit that, to do the things that are normally done at a cemetery, put flowers down, do whatever, you know, whatever you'd normally do to the cemetery. Um, then the next thing is what if somebody wants to bury somebody new at that location? Well, that's going to get a little trickier. In that instance, you're going to have to see, first off, was that little plot of ground that has some graves on it, was it ever an official family burial ground under state law? To become an official family burial ground under state law, you have to have deeded that property to the county commission. You literally deed that property to the county commission. It's no longer the farmer's land. The farmer owns all the surrounding land, but that actual cemetery technically belongs to the county commission. The county owns it now. And in that instance, it's held kind of like in trust by the county for the benefit of the descendants of the person who deeded the property. And the statute actually says, well, the descendants can bury somebody there. What do you do if there's a dispute? How long can you keep doing this? For 100 years? Nobody, you know, very few court cases dealing with this. And if there's a dispute, you might wind up having, somebody might wind up having to go to the judge. But it says it's for the, the burial of the descendants of the person who deeded the property. Well, after a few generations, there's going to be a whole lot of descendants. And it doesn't give any order of priority. It doesn't say, what if you got 16 
grandkids and there's only room for three, how do you decide which three out of the 16 gets in? The statute doesn't really help you with anything like that. This is a very old statute. The most recent version in the statutes is from 1936. That's the, and there are, there are even ones before that, but the most recent version of it was put on the books in 1936. So uh, quite a long time ago, but so let's say it was not. And in most cases, it probably wasn't. What, let's say it was not a family burial ground. They did not deed that, but you still have it out there. Well, now the question is who owns the land? What is, does the farmer own that land that the cemetery is on? If a farmer does own the land, they can't disturb or desecrate the graves. Can't do that. But the farm owner should be saying, I'm sorry, nobody else gets buried there if they own the land. It's their property. It's just like you own your own cemetery and you decide, sorry, my cemetery is full. You know, no more burials here. I'm sorry. So it should be theoretically, and again, looking for court cases on this, good luck. But it should make it should, makes perfect sense that the, the landowner could say, yes, I have to allow people to visit this grave site. That's what the statute says. But I don't have to allow anyone else buried there. Okay. There is one. Now, quirk to that, however, is once it becomes an abandoned grave uh, cemetery, once it becomes an abandoned cemetery, and that means nobody's been buried there for the last 25 years, the county can take it over if they want. It doesn't require them to take it over but they can take it over if they want. Um, I, I don't know too many instances where that's happened when it's on some farmer's land or anything like that. So uh, again, if you get the question, can I bury somebody in the middle of this farm where there's this plot of ground with a bunch of family members? First off, was it ever made a family burial ground officially? If so, the statute says, yes, the descendants of the person who created that family burial ground can be buried there. There could be disputes, but at least it's theoretically possible. If no, it wasn't, you need to see if this was an abandoned cemetery that was taken over by the county, in which case then the county would decide. If it was not taken by, over by the county at any point in time, was it ever deeded separately? in any way to a cemetery association? If not, and the property was eventually sold to a farmer somewhere down the road, arguably the farmer then owns that land. They can't mess with the graves, but they own the land and they would arguably, and certainly makes sense under those circumstances, have the right to say yes or no, somebody else could be buried there. So like they say on Facebook sometimes in that relationship uh, status, it's complicated. So that's what we have for you here today. Again, check uh, to make sure that if you're planning to come to the convention and you need a hotel room, you get that done right away because you're about to run out of time to get the cheaper hotel rates. You can still register for the convention, but if you want to get that discount in, you're going to want to get that in right away as well. And if you're interested in taking the National Funeral Directors Association Ranger training, which is the Saturday before our convention starts, we now have more spots available. So get on the NFDA's website and sign up for that. So until next time, stay safe.